you know, I am a black woman, so the work will always be through the lens of a black woman. I think we the most popping, popping one. <laughs> Yes, yes. Welcome back to another episode of Black Stage Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Lily Workna. Lily is someone who was very special to me. Uh, if you listened to last week's episode, you might have heard me and Jonathan talking about her. Lily is an OG. Uh, she really is an OG. She's she's too young to be an OG, but she is an OG. Uh, she is someone who has mastered the media game in such a magnificent way. And she is someone also who has truly managed everything black on the internet um, from the Grio to uh, HuffPost Black Voices to Blavity. I mean, the list goes on and on. But like Lily is someone who who cares deeply about the black community. She is someone who has a variety of different perspectives and she's now a new mom. So you get to really kind of actually in real time listen to me talk to Lily while she's multitasking and taking care of her newborn daughter. So it was incredible to reconnect with Lily. It's been a little bit because of the pandemic and everything like that. But this conversation is 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 truly special and uh, you're going to learn a lot. So Lily work now, everyone. This is the Black Stage. OK, so we have on the podcast today one of my most favorite people in the world who is literally just if you all could see her, she is literally doing all things masterfully. And we can kind of get into that specifically, <laughs> but it's 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 absolutely incredible. Lily Workna, how you doing? Oh, I am so well, so good. So happy to be here. I appreciate you for having me. And yes, I'm, I'm juggling a few things. Just had a baby girl. So. Just had you know, a baby. I'm on maternity girl. leave. Yeah. On maternity so. leave, just had a baby girl. Well, you know, I wanted to have you on this podcast uh, today because I specifically I wanted to talk to you about just your journey and just all the things that you have done. Now, I know we've talked about how you are like, you know, behind the scenes now, that you're low-key Lily. I like that. That might be a brand, low-key Lily. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, low-key low key Lily. But like for all of us who know, who know Lily Workna, knows that Lily works and Lily has done so <laughs> many things and has opened so many doors and has made an incredible impact Aww. in just the media and digital landscape. Um, but also when we talk about black press, you cannot talk about black press without Aww. Lily. And so in the midst Aww. of her uh, currently breastfeeding her beautiful baby girl, she has spared <laughs> Got a nurse. She's 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 spared a few t uh, moments with us to, to talk. So you know, Lily, I really want to kind of just start with you um, at the beginning. What kind of brought you into wanting to pursue, uh, you know, digital media and, and what kind of got you started on your journey and path? Yes, yes. Well, thank you for having me and, you know, allowing me to share and reflect because I've been in a deep, deep mode of reflection, state of reflection lately because all I have is time at home to like, you know, contemplate and think about what I've done, where I've been and what I want to do. But in digging into what I've done, you know, I've always wanted to be, pursue journalism. And it's one of those just like an internal calling that I came across and stumbled across when I was in high school. When I, and I, you know, decided to work for the news, the newspaper, the high school newspaper. And I was bold enough to pitch a column called Lily's Life Laws that I just branded and was like, you know, I want to respond to, um, you know, people's concerns and issues and problems they have as teens in high school and 
I don't know what made me think I had the answers, but <laughs> I did. I thought I did, and I pitched it, and um, doing that column and writing on the paper, you know, for the newspaper, just lit up a fire in me because um, I was always really um, an avid reader, really loved to write, um, and the language arts was always one of my favorite subjects, and storytelling was a passion of mine. Um, if you hear baby girl in the background, she's listening along and co-signing, I hope. <laughs> so, you know, life back then was me in full pursuit of, you know, figuring out how to get a gig in journalism, how to study it. I went to the University of Georgia, um, studied um, publication management as my major. So I was it was a mix of editorial journalism and business classes to help me better understand how to literally manage an outlet, a publication. And funny enough, that's ended up that's what I ended up doing years later. And I'll get to that. But um in school I was also at college, I was also the editor in chief of a multicultural publication called Infusion. And it was the only multicultural issue on the campus, you know, at UGA. Um, we had a staff of about 70 people. <laughs> yeah, she's she's up. Can you hear her? I can hear her a little bit. She's cute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, she's gonna be she's gonna be the background noise to, to the interview. In. <laughs> she's just feeding away. But you know, I I yeah, I was I led that publication. I and it brought me so much passion. And I was like, this is what I want to do, this is what I felt like I'm called to do and I made my own opportunities. I had the gumption enough to be like, you know, I literally created my own luck out of taking roles that I had. So I was the secretary for the National Association of Black Journalists on, on college campus. And my role was to share information. So I said, why not do this as a, as a, as you know, an outlet, like why not create a publication and brand myself editor in chief and hire, you know, people from the team who were all print majors and magazine majors. So they wanted the experience. So it was a win-win. So I did that, you know, I led Infusion Magazine as their editor-in-chief and, uh, you know, worked closely with designers and editors and photographers and, and friends and people who wanted to tell the stories of the multicultural students and issues on campus. And um, through all of that, it landed me an opportunity to um, take on or to apply for this uh, internship opportunity in New York City. And it was between the summer of my senior, my junior going into my senior year. And that internship changed my life. And, you know, the lesson I learned from that too, I was just talking about this earlier today with my partner that, you know, I was going back through um, emails and, um, you know, like just moments of that period of time in my life. And I remember when I was applying to that, my magazine professor had told me about the internship and she told me how competitive it was. And she said, you know, you will, the process to apply is to print off your application, submit it to the school. The school will pick two students to represent you know, the university and, you know, send it off to the national program. But in, when I printed it off, something in me, intuition, told me to print off two copies. And one copy I submitted to the school, the other copy I submitted directly to the national program. So I said, you know what, let me just, just in case, you know, just do this, right? So listening to my intuition is what led me to get, you know, get accepted into the program because it turned out that the school didn't select me, but the national program did. And <laughs> had I not submitted and printed off, you know, two applications, who knows where I would have been. So one, you know, it's a life lesson. And when I you say so print, always, like you, when you say print, you actually printed them I out. literally print, you got it. This is the time of years. Printed <laughs> and mailed, yes. No email <laughs> submissions, none of that yet. This was like, 
still in the print world before the digital dot com boom had happened. And, you know, I quickly learned that print was, you know, I, had, I always try to think ahead and say, OK, where would my career take me if I was going to major in, you know, something like publication management? What will publications look like in the next five or 10 years? And I knew it would be online. Um, but I still wanted and needed the print experience at the time because it was, you know, there's there's so many transferable skills. It's the only thing that's different is, you know, the way your story is distributed. So I uh, got that internship, went to New York that summer, met amazing people, challenged myself to speak up in every room. And I did and left an impression on a lot of folks in high positions there to the point that when I came back after I graduated um, a year later, you know, I, I landed an internship at CNN and a few other places, got some more bylines. I stayed in touch with the network I had developed earlier that summer and um, came back to New York and on a whim just went to stop by one of the professionals I met in the HR department at Time Inc. who on the spot offered me an internship at People the summer after I graduated. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, like that's, you know, awesome. I would love to take this on. But I I had also been offered a full-time position at another, you know, uh, company not related to, you know, had nothing to do with journalism or or, um, media. But it was a position that got me to New York and, you know, paid for me to get there. Mm -hmm. So I had the dilemma of, you know, do I take this full-time internship? Or do I take this full-time position? And, you know, my parents were all going for the full-time position. It's job security. It gets you, you know, it's safe, it's secure, it's, you know, guaranteed. You don't know what will happen after the summer internship, you know, ends. But I said, you know, but the internship is in in a field I want to pursue. You know, this is like an un- like an incomparable opportunity. I can't get this anywhere else. This is probably a once in a lifetime opportunity. So again, listening to intuition and through the guidance of my mentor at the time, uh, Delora Jones, who's still at InStyle as a copy chief, who um, a black woman and black women have looked out for me my entire career. I would not be where I am without them. She um, told me to listen to my gut and uh, told, you know, her recommendation was to take the internship so I remember I graduated on, um, I was offered the opportunity on a Friday. I graduated on Saturday. I recovered on Sunday. And then Monday I had to make the decision. And I said, you know what? I appreciated the full-time opportunity, the job, but the internship I knew would be the first step to leading me on this journey to, you know, my dream, which was to be an editor-in-chief of an, of an online platform. So Took the internship, moved to New York, um, interned at People that summer. It was the summer Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes divorced. So I was like chasing them around <laughs> all summer, like <laughs> literally like making friends with the doorman and paparazzi and, you know, a lot of like cra- crazy, crazy experiences that, you know, on the outside looking in looked really fun and, and exciting and glamorous, right? To be working at a publication like People. But it wasn't the most fulfilling for me because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the kind of stories. I wasn't telling the kind of stories I wanted to tell. You know, they were entertainment. Um, it was an entertainment field of magazine. It was, you know, they were entertaining stories, but they weren't the stories I uh, felt compelled to share. But I learned a lot. I learned how to ask the right questions. I learned who to ask. I learned, you know, how to write great stories and catchy headlines. Uh, I learned how to fact check, you know, I learned and, and made a lot of great connections. So, you know, I'm definitely grateful for everything it gave me, but it also, through that experience and doing things I didn't want, it made it very clear what I did want to do, right? And that was, 
it was pursuing, continuing what I did in college, which was telling stories that amplified un- underrepresented voices, right? I was like, this, like there's, this media is saturated with us telling the same stories over and over again, but the same kind and of people over and over again. Say, how many times are we going to say Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes are divorced? <laughs> how many, how many times? times? And how many times are we going to tell the stories of people who look like them and have, you know, first world problems that like, you know, not to say, not to discount their experiences, but there's enough people telling those stories that I, I, I felt like there was much more that I could accomplish and wanted to accomplish. And to me, you know, the storytellers matter just as much as the stories. And I wanted to work at a place that valued and appreciated storytellers of color and told and amplify the stories of groups of people whose, whose voices weren't really really being recognized in a mainstream space or way. And this is also the time where, you know, print was slowly, you know, going dying, you know, and digital and the dot-com boom was like on the rise. And, you know, people were trying to, and I knew that's where I wanted to take my career. So I, I said, you know, I'm going to do this internship for a few months. And after the summer, they offered me a, a role as a reporter. I did that for, you know, through, I think eight months or so until I was really like, okay, I need to set a, a, time, a deadline for myself and start applying elsewhere. And then I applied, an opening happened to become available at thegrio.com. And they were at the, you know, owned by NBC at the time. So it was just across the street at the 30 Rock building. And I would go on my lunch break and, and took, I took the interview and uh, met the team and they offered me the role. And I was, I was so happy. And um, I remember my second day on the job, I had to cover this story of a police killing in Brooklyn of a 16 year old boy, black boy named Kamani Gray. And I remember going, it was like a few blocks from where I lived in Flatbush at the time. I, and I remember going, yeah, lived in Flatbush for three years, lived in Harlem for three years, got my whole New York experience in. Still live in Harlem. But <laughs> yeah, Harlem, I, I won't say which is better. They both have their, you know, their gems. But yeah, man, that, that was one of the stories that I will never forget reporting on or telling. And it truly changed me um, personally, professionally. You know, I remember talking to his family members, talking to protesters, talking to store owners nearby where the protests were happening. They had given me a camera that I had no way of figuring out. Like I had no idea how to use it, (laughs) but they were like, go take pictures, get, you know, get some information and Mm -hmm. file the story by the morning and figured out how to use the camera. Thankfully, you know, got some help from a photographer on on, um, nearby and you know got some really compelling information and quotes and you know that's just like it, it was it was one of those stories because you, you can't you know as a journalist the hard part of being a journalist of color and being a black journalist in particular is that sometimes you really have to detach your emotions from some of the stories but it's hard because you are you know this could be you this could be your family member this could happen to anybody that you know or are close to and so it was challenging. I'm not going to say it was easy doing that, right? Like it was, it was, it was second day on a new job thrown into this really devastating story and having the responsibility of telling it right and not getting caught up in, you know, your personal, uh, the personal emotions that, can, that can, it can stir up. And so I told that story, uh, wrote, went home and wrote it up, filed it the next morning and felt such like, 
a one, it was such a 180 in terms of the experience and how I felt from telling that story versus telling the kinds of stories I was telling at people, right? It was one of those moments where I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I'm meant to do. This is what fulfills me. And um, this is what I want to do more of. And that story ended up on the front page of NBC News. They selected it, um, you know, that next day. And that was for me, kind of some more affirmation that this is, you know, I'm on, I'm on the right path. So stayed at the Grio for about a year and a half. Um, I worked with, you know, uh, amazing people. And Joy Reid was the editor at the time. Uh, and if you don't know Joy Reid, she is one of the most phenomenal people, um, Black women in journalism, one of the smartest people, period. And one of the best people to convey and relay the news on TV. And I learned so much just from working with her and working for her and, you know, working with that team um, where I got to do like my own videos and learn video editing and did more interviews on camera and ended up, you know, doing a few hits on national TV and, you know, writing um, lifestyle stories and news stories all for, you know, the black audience and for, you know, stories for us by us and love the experience. Unfortunately, after a year and a half, um, everyone was laid off and that led me to, you know, this time in my life where I really had to get clear on what my, what I wanted to do next. And I knew that I wanted to continue working in black media, continue working in the digital space. And that the next role that I had, that I wanted to take on had to be something that lit, lit me up that, that I was passionate about. Lily, you know, there are a lot of people who, who might listen to this and, you know, be experiencing layoffs. Right. I think like mm-hmm. when COVID first hit, it was like media just got slammed with layoffs. All you oh, yeah. It's like layoffs, 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 publications closed. It's a it's a difficult time um, in mm-hmm. media of just trying to rise in media, trying to be successful in it. And so when you when you got that first initial experience of like being laid off, like what what kind of like kept you steadfast in your journey to like be like, I'm going to find another job because anyone who knows like the New York media landscape knows it is probably the, one of the most competitive beasts um, that you can ever try to slay. And so like what made you just kind of be like, hey, I'm actually going to to stick this out. I'm not going to shift to PR or shift to, mm-hmm. to something else. Like we're going to keep going. What, what, what made you do that? That's a great question. And, you know, in thinking about that time, it was about, I think, three months for me that I was laid off, you know, no job, no com- no income coming in, living in New York, having my own apartment and not figuring, no, thank God. I mean, I was just living off my savings at that point. But I remember I didn't tell my parents I was laid off because I didn't want the added stress or pressure. You know, my friends knew, but um, and they were looking out for me. But I remember in those months not feeling so stressed out because I was just so sure. And I don't know what made me feel so confident, but I just was so sure that the right opportunity would present itself at the right time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, it was, you know, now looking back and this has happened to me so many times in my life that, you know, it has just made it clear that what's for you won't miss you. Right. And the right opportunities will present themselves if you remain steadfast in that, in that thinking, in that, you know, and holding that perspective. And I 
you know, use those months to actually just get better at writing and read a lot more and consumed a lot more media and enjoyed the time off. Cause I was like, this is, I'm not going to have any other time in my life where I'm in my twenties and, you know, have the freedom to just do as I wish. Cause I did have severance, right. That's what, you know, the one, one silver lining of being laid off and, and not quitting is you get some severance and it wasn't much, but it was enough. And yeah, I, I remember not telling myself, Lily, don't just apply anywhere just to get a job. You can get a job anywhere doing whatever, but be intentional about it, you know, right. Be clear about where you want your life to go and the role you want to have. And that's how I got the job at the Griot too. Cause I knew I wanted, uh, you know, to leave people and have an associate editor title for a, for a digital publication. And that was a title that the Griot ended up giving me. And, you know, it, it is a basic, you know, the facet of the law of attraction. And I know a lot more about it now than I did then, but I've always been working, you know, my life has always worked out in ways that have attracted these opportunities to me. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Sometimes it is, I, you know, back then I was like, I don't know how this happened, but thank God it did, <laughs> you know, but looking back now, retrospectively, it's like, I know why that happened because I, I believed it would, and it did. And you know, after three months of unemployment um, and not apply, you know, I was very selective about the places I applied to. I think I only applied to one or two places, if that. Really? Um, yeah, because um, I was there wasn't anything at the time that was that presented itself yeah. to be something that I, I was really interested in. And, you know, I'm not to, not to say this for everyone. Some people, you know, may not have the means to go by that long, you know, without, you know, applying for another job. And, you know, your, your life will play out in ways that it's meant to, everything is destined, you know, and, and it is in divine order. Um, and, but for me at the time, I was just like, you know, I, I don't feel compelled to apply to anything that's available right now. And you could, you know, I did, I try to get creative and, you know, just use my time wisely and prep myself because what's for you, like I said, will be for you. And, you know, I just had to get ready for that to present itself. And lo and behold, you know, sure enough, like within um, a month, one of my old friends at the Griot told me that an, an opening had become available at uh, HuffPost and that they were hiring for a new editor to take on the Black Voices section. And funny enough, the girl who had left um, the position at Black Voices uh, she left the same day that we were let go from the Grio. So it's this, it's almost as, you know, I see it as one door closed the same day, another door, you know, another door opened. And I came to find out about it a few weeks later and, um, reached out to the HR lady and, you know, told her about myself. She was impressed. She passed me on to the editors. They, I interviewed with them. They were impressed and offered me the job within a few days. And I met with the team Love them. It was a very small team at the time, two, three people. And um, who's on that team at that time? There was uh, Brennan Williams and Brennan. Uh, yes, Brennan Williams, still the homie. Shout out to him. Um, and a, another young girl named uh, oh, man, Jay Dilla. Yeah, I can't forget, I'm forgetting her last name, but um, small team, very small team. And we ended up yeah getting lunch and we connected and this was this was 2014 so this was this was yeah 20 march of 2014 i want to say around that time um and months before the non-indictment no sorry days before the non-indictment and the mike brown case um would come down and that that non-indictment was what i anticipated and you know this was 
two years after Trayvon and we, you know, this is right, right when, you know, racial issues were at a high, you know, and, and tensions were, were hitting its peak and media in particular had such a huge responsibility in telling these stories and telling it right. And at the time, no one was really doing that, you know, and, um, and at, I mean, we were doing that at, at the Grio, but I was always hesitant to see how mainstream outlets would approach it. Because it was either the same storytelling being told over again, or they were amplifying the experiences of the non-Black folks, that, you know, in the situation or angle, the angles of the stories that were being told just weren't, weren't capturing the story um, accurately. But I did appreciate you know, the role Black Voices played at a platform like HuffPost, right? HuffPost reached millions of people. Black Voices had um, a big, at the time, you know, played a big role in telling the stories of Black black people and in America, mostly wasn't really a global outlook and still does. It's just changed over the years. But, you know, I took on that role when, when things were about to get really real. And from 2014 to 2017, I led that platform. And we did so many great things and I've worked with so many amazing people um, and worked on our really, really tough stories. Um, you know, they were, this was from 2014 to 2017, we saw the deaths of so many young black men and women at the hands of police. We saw, so, you know, the rise of, you know, mental health issues being discussed um, openly and publicly. We saw, you know, uh, but there was also really good things. You saw the embrace, you know, the, the wild and uh, widespread embrace of like natural hair, you know, of black culture. You know, there's all, so many highs and so many lows, lots of ups and downs. But we found creative ways to tell those stories through articles, through written words, through videos. We hosted a weekly hip hop show called Bars, where we, you know, source local talent to come in so that they could show it off to the national audience. Um, you know, shout out to Jacques. <laughs> There's just a really, we had so much love and such a great team. And I think I did some of my best work working at HuffPost. And, you know, it, it was one of the highlights of my life and one of the best jobs I think I've ever had. And I really appreciated that time. But, um, you know, after three years, we, we tripled the traffic. We, you know, grew an audience that really, you know, appreciated the work we were doing. And after three years, I was presented with another opportunity and I said, okay, maybe this is the time to move on and move up. And um, Blavity was in 2017, you know, had was just starting out. They're about a year old and it was a platform that was, you know, all about reaching black millennials. And I was... Um, I had, you know, I was a reader and a subscriber and was, a, you know, a fan of the work that they were doing and saw it had, you know, so much potential. And Jonathan Jackson was one of the co-founders and a friend of mine and told me, you know, that they were looking for um, somebody to take on and lead all the editorial and the news function of Blavity. And the, you know, after a few talks and chats with him and with Morgan Debon, who was the founder, the co-founder of the platform, the company, um, you know, she offered me the role and title of editor-in-chief and trusted me to lead the team and invited me to come out and move to California from New York 
And, you know, this was a huge shift in my life because it was going from, you know, leading just, uh, you know, definitely a well-known and well-appreciated platform like Black Voices to leading an entire platform, you know, that was an independent news outlet, an independent Black news outlet where we had full control over our narrative, the stories we told. um, And I had a team to help me do that. And I was you know, really excited at the opportunity and decided to take it and left HuffPost after three years, stayed in New York a few more months to knock off some bucket list items and moved to LA in 2017 and left Blavity for three years, which that was also, you know, one of the best jobs in my life too. And to be able to lead and, and work with a team that was so passionate and so hungry and to, to, you know, help, craft the skills of young reporters and journalists and to influence them in certain ways and to do, you know, work that we and stories that we wanted to tell that we weren't seeing elsewhere was so much fun. And, you know, I got to hire people I've worked with in the past. I got to really do, you know, they, they have full trust in me to sort of lead the platform as I saw fit. And that was, you know, you don't get that everywhere and Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't get these opportunities every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back now, that was my dream to be able to do that. I went to school to lead and learn how to lead a publication, right? This is me managing a publication, studying publication management to do that. And it's just funny to see how life unfolds in ways that, you know, you, as I was just so clear on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be that it had manifested itself in this really remarkable way. And I will always be grateful for that. You you were really relentless, Lily. Like you were you were relentless. You were determined. You were focused on getting to your goal. And even with turbulence, you still were were moving forward and moving forward and moving forward and moving forward. And also staying true to you. You know, many people could say that, oh, you got a job at People Magazine. You better stay. You better stay at People. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not mm-hmm. telling the stories that you want to tell, you better stay. And I think mm-hmm. that that's just something that, you know, kind of speaks to who you are and your values that you chose to go to a black owned platform after after, after people um, and say like, these are the type of stories that I want to focus on. These are the things that I want to talk about. These are the things that I want to experience because not everybody's like that. Not everybody's like right. that. I, I'm interested and, you know, you, you glaze over a couple of things. Um, mm-hmm. And the good thing is, is that I know you, so I don't even have to do my homework. I can just kind of speak up. In, 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 <laughs> in reflecting it on your work at HuffPost, you got Forbes 30 under 30. You were recognized nationally by an ABJ. You have been, uh, you know, named like some one of the top journalists, you know, out there in this 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 HuffPost era. Because like when you were at HuffPost, Lily, you were doing work. Like you were doing work. You were putting people on. You were being creative. You were creating shows. You were, you know, partnering. You were working with activists. I think that at one point you were like best friends with Bernice King. I mean, like you were just like, you were out here for the people. Like they were like, it was almost like Black Voices in, in Lily Workman was synonymous. It was like they were the same thing because you were that brand um, as well as your team, but you were obviously the, the leader of the team at the time. And, you know, for you to become an editor at chief at what age? I was 27, 26, 26, 26 and an editor in chief of a national brand. That's, that's, that's (laughs) that's a lot. Like, I mean, do you ever sit back like, damn, I did it 
quickly. I mean, it, it did, when, in looking back, like in the, like, cause I remember like, it didn't seem quick. It was like, yo, like, right. you know, I remember her hustling at NBC and cause we met, we met at Howard's homecoming with Keanu. Yes, um, at Howard's homecoming that had to have been what fall 2013 and yes. I remember running into you in the elevator at NBC with those cameras just overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. let's do lunch and I was like okay <laughs> but like I just remember just this constant hustle and you always supporting your friends you know in doing all the things that you do like you know shout out to Imani guest of the podcast yes. founder of CCNYSP you know shout out to Taryn guest of the podcast it was like you always put on your people and did whatever I mean look at you you're like literally midway breastfeeding and on this podcast <laughs> because you're like yo Brennan wants me on this podcast and I gotta get on this podcast before he chases me down in California so it's just like <laughs> it, 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 it's just incredible how how giving you are and and how in in supporting and serving your community you also are uplifting your friends and like it really kind of like makes me think a lot about like what Issa Rae always says around like you know look to your left look to your right and build with the mm-hmm. people besides you um rather mm-hmm. than solely um I, I brought her up and now she's starting to make noise again I love it <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah. was, she, was, she was crying for a second um but but you know I you know you've always looked to your left and looked to your right and and build with your peers and now like when you look at all your peers I mean so many people who came up in that New York scene are doing Mm -hmm. so well you know no longer Mm -hmm. like you know young 20 somethings you know sophisticated 30 somethings but like it's 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 incredible and so you know you know being an editor-in-chief at 26 Lily is just is amazing. And then, in, so wait, wait, you left Blavity when? What year? Uh, at the end of 2020. At 20? Yep, at the end of 20, yeah, the end of what 2020. Was going, what was going through your head in that transition? What, what, Man. what transition? Because it was no longer uh, news, right? It was mm-hmm, no longer, mm-hmm. like you have been doing hardcore news for, you know, eight, nine years at this point. Yes. You know, what was the, the pivotal point of saying, like, I want to try something new? You know, again, intuition. I had this gut feeling and and it's just the reality of my life at the time that, you know, news and having been having worked in it for so long and and been so committed to it and having it dictate my entire life. Right. Like you don't know what story is going to you know break or what's going to happen in the world that will require your full attention and having my life be like that for, you know, almost a decade got to a point where I was a little exhausted from it, you know, admittedly, like it was, it got to, you know, I I was just, I was drained and, um, it took a lot of me and from me to show up every day, to tell the news every day, to help, you know, to pour into a team that needed, and, you know, the best of me every day. And I realized that like, I've done the best that I could do. And after three years in my dream role as editor-in-chief and after nearly a decade in a field I've always wanted to pursue and still connected to, deeply connected to journalism, I was excited and ready for more opportunities. And, you know, I sat with myself, I said, you know, what's what's a space that I've always wanted to explore that I've never really given myself the opportunity to, to dabble in and to play in. And, you know, towards the end of my time at Blavity 2, I started consulting and working with different mission-driven platforms and people and brands and businesses that, I, uh, that I'm fans of, that I think are doing important work and just needed help honing 
you know, their, their storytelling skills, telling a better brand story, telling better personal stories for people. And was really inspired by the work I was doing there and, and loved doing that and still, and still do some of that. But I started consulting with a company called Rebel Girls, which was a, is a kids media company that creates really compelling books and um, products for, for young girls ages, you know, five to 12. Um, that teaches them about the women of the past and the women of the present and uh, use the storytelling to do that. And kids media was always a place I wanted to, you know, explore and just never really had the opportunity to. And here I was attracting this opportunity into my life, consulting with them, having, you know, and they totally trusted me. The CEO um, was so, you know, very charismatic and sweet and um, had big visions for the brand and really wanted me to help come in and help them make them reality. And I did that as a consultant for a few months. And then you know, they were also working on a book, a kid's book, um, all about black girl magic. And I I said, you know, well, look at that. (laughs) Like this is, you know, here is a brand that was doing really important work, you know, trying to inspire and instill confidence in young girls. And through this book in particular, really trying to hone in on stories of the black women of our present and of our past and to help build a brighter future by passing on these stories to the kids who will build our future. Right. And I found and saw so much power in that. And they trusted me in being the editor of that book um, and writing the stories in that book and working with a team of black women report uh, writers and editor. Uh, no, well, I was the editor of black, uh, so black women, writers, black women, illustrators. Um, it was over 60 black women and non-binary illustrators who contributed to the book. And one of the best parts is that I got to work on it with Kashawn Thompson, who is the creator of the Black Girl Magic hashtag. And having spent nearly a decade in news and seeing the rise of so many social movements digitally, you know, and the creators of those movements not get their credit, it was so, you know, resonated with me really deeply that the Rebel Girls wanted to work with Kashawn in such a close capacity and give her the credit as being the creator of this movement and have her help hone in on the vision for the book as well. And we work so closely. And to me now, Kashan is and will always be a big sister. Um, we talk all the time and it is so awesome to see her get her due credit and her shine through this book. And, you know, I hope more opportunities come to her, but Black Girl Magic has been, it's everywhere, right? And for her to coin the term and for us to create a kid's book that, you know, celebrates the true meaning of what Black Girl Magic is, which is something she's always, you know, Kashana's always defined as it's not something you have to acquire. It's not something you have to unlock or do something to, you know, achieve. It is, you know, it's innate. Every Black girl is magical. And um, we wanted to make sure girls knew that and saw that represented in the myriad of ways Black women show up. And so it was, it was you know, working on and creating this book has been and was such a phenomenal experience, you know, and I'm so proud to have created a work of art that I can pass on to my now (laughs) mini bundle of Black Girl Magic. And, you know, we did a whole book tour where we got to go around the country and meet and greet with little girls of all backgrounds, but majority of whom are Black girls. And then tell us what their dreams and aspirations are. And to say that, you know, this women, women in the book who resonated with them and see them, you know, 
light up at reading stories and seeing the illustrations. So it was, um, it's been such a fun ride and there's so much more to what Rebel Girls can and will do. And I'm excited to help them get there and to inspire even more girls. And yeah, at the same time, I'm raising my own baby girl. <laughs> so how has motherhood changed you? Oh, it has completely changed me. I mean, I didn't really, she's only two months old now. She's two months tomorrow. And I am much more present. I'm just very, I'm, I'm, you know, time flies when you're working in news and living in cities like New York and the life I've lived. Like I've always been on the go. I've always been one of those girls that's like love living in big cities and, you know, doing all the things and, you know, <laughs> doing the most. My friends will tell you at times, you know, always wanted to go out and be places and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just <laughs> be on the just be out, you know, and that was, that, that was a chapter in my life that I, I'm glad I had that, you know, I'm glad I got to like live my twenties in New York and got to like come out to LA where all my college friends, you know, there's like a group of 10 of us that were so close to college. The two of us moved to New York, the rest of us moved to LA. So I came out here and already had a community of friends, you know, and built more and built a bigger community. But I also, you know, met my life partner and, you know, live in a place that's 10 minutes from the beach. And, you know, I'm living a life now that's slower and to me feels more grounded and I'm more present and having waking up every day and being with baby girl, her name is Leela, uh, and seeing her smile and seeing her grow just makes this chapter of my life so exciting. And you know, I'm glad and grateful for everything I've done so far, but I'm so excited for what's on the horizon and everything that's going to come. But I'm a lot more intentional, Ooh, even as she gets fussy about how I um, how I spend my time and yeah, you know what I do with it and what I want her to be when she grows up and how I can best influence her through the work I create. So I'm always, you know. She is like my motivation now. Before it was like, you know, I think life was just different. <laughs> you don't realize how like, have you know, having a child and, you know, I kept the news to myself too. I was pretty personal about it for throughout the duration of my pregnancy. Oh, I know. And, I didn't... <laughs> and that, I know. that was intentional. My girl went on a whole <laughs> tour around the country, pregnant, didn't tell nobody. Couldn't even tell you. I was like, because, you know, you wear those drapery dresses. You were yes. you were wearing those drapery dresses before it got even popular. Like, that was your look. So it was like, oh, this that's nothing. Like, you know, my yes. gosh. I love my flowy looks, my bohemian flowy mm-hmm. style. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I was, yeah, intentional and strategic, I would say, about, you know, the pictures I posted online. And it was really just because I wanted to, you know, I, obviously I shared the news with my family and friends. I told my mom on Mother's Day. And I found out the gender of the baby on, on Father's Day. And I always, like, I was hoping, I really wanted a girl. So I'm so grateful that I got my baby girl. But, um, yeah, I told my closest family and friends. I told my friends on my 30th birthday. was That was really fun because we, you know, all went to San Diego. And I had everyone kind of, like, go around in a circle. And this was after a year and a half of not seeing each other because of the pandemic. And I wanted everyone to go around and share, you know, what they're so proud of and happy about in their lives. Like, what is bringing them joy. And it was one of the best moments I've shared with my friends period in life you know where we just really openly shared and this is friends from all my all walks of my life these were my college friends some of my high school friends my post-college friends you know and my partner all sitting around just like sharing openly about 
you know, what we've done that we're proud of and want to celebrate. And I ended the circle and shared my news. And it was just kind of really exciting to like bask in their love. And so many of them cried and screamed. And, you know, I know that she, you know, Leela has a whole village of, you know, aunts and uncles who love her so much. But it was, you know, it's one of those things where like when you so much of your life is public and the work that you so much of the work you do is public, you kind of want some things for yourself. And yeah. it was just a decision I made to just kind of keep it, you know, keep the, you know, experience the bliss of pregnancy. And for me, thankfully, it was blissful. You know, for so many women, it, it, it can be really tumultuous. But for me, you know, I experienced it personally and quietly and privately without the gaze of the outside world. And that's how I wanted it. And, you know, I, sh- I shared her and this, her story whenever I felt compelled to. And, you know, that's up to all of us individually. We are all living and creating our own stories. It is up to us to tell them when we want to and how we want to. We are also the storytellers. And we are, you know, as Black creatives, as you were saying, like I've worked with so many of my friends because they're also talented. Everyone contributes something so different, you know, from like from artists to, you know, photographers to editors to event organizers to, you know, interior designers. There's all kinds. We all are gifted. And I think the work I've done is also a reflection of the time we're in, too, because so much of so many of us, not only in my group of friends, but, you know, in our group of friends, but also around the world and especially around this country, you know, so many of us are collaborating to create so many amazing things. Right. We are taking back the power. We are owning our narratives. We are building new businesses. And there is um, there's so much, I think, beauty in that. And. I'm grateful to have been a part of it, you know, to work with people like Amani and, you know, to see the communities like the Creative Collective grow. Um, and there's just, there's, there's an endless amount that, of that, that we can do and continue to create. And our children will continue to do the same. And I just want us to, can, you know, set a good example for them. So. Legacy, legacy. <laughs> It is all about legacy. Yes, indeed. I, I, I was I was looking up the definition of of Lily, and <laughs> the words that came up was beauty, purity, fertility, transformation, rebirth, and devotion. And I feel oh, like wow. all of those things. And so I've actually never have never <laughs> looked up the. Definition. It's incredible what Google can do, man. It just it just you know <laughs> it it gives you a good close and a good conversation. <laughs> That is beautiful indeed. I love that. I love that you shared that with me. Yeah, um, that's that's great. Thank I'm you. so I'm so proud of you. I, I continue to be in awe of you. And you know what you have done um, has been extraordinary. But what you will do is going to be even bigger than than anything we've ever seen. So I'm excited. I'll have my popcorn ready, and then <laughs> I'll invite you to another conversation and be tracking. Yes. But um, but thank you for your time, Lily. I'm so grateful. Enjoy your baby girl, your home by the beach, and in a loving partner and peace. <laughs> and, and and I will and I will be and I'll look you up in the funny papers very soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Brennan. I appreciate you and all your love and support over the years. I'm grateful to know you. <laughs>